Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you doing? All alright. You know what? I, you know, I sometimes worry about, you know, when we do our chats that we're, there's not sometimes going to be enough to talk about and, um, <laughs> you know, things that crop up. And literally, like, you know, every week without fail, I think there's always loads of really cool, just interesting stuff that sort of that, that crops up and is hopefully topical enough that other people are actually half interested in listening to as well. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of extraordinary. I think we're at a kind of extraordinary inflection point in football in general at the moment. Not that we've kind of necessarily spoken about the biggest issues week but there's like a lot of seismic shifts happening at the moment a lot of land grabbing a lot of politics you know we obviously broke the super league story live on air as well um so we've been we've been at the heart of it um for the last few we've been going nearly a year now of, of these chats and uh yeah and and yeah champions league's back tonight there's international talking points there's yeah a whole load of whole load of stuff to get into yeah, I love how you think that we broke the story. I mean, it did happen live on air, I guess, during one of our uh, one of our more famous uh, yeah um, podcasts. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there would have been someone listening in who, who didn't know about that simply, probably. Well, I think it, I think it's a testimony to our ability to be able to um, yeah, be quite pragmatic, bearing in mind at the beginning of the hour we were sure that everybody was in the Super League, and by the end of the half an hour, uh, basically nobody was. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. So shall we um, shall we crack into this week? We, I think we're covering a few different topics today i know the first one um we wanted to cover was this i mean i must admit i struggled to follow it but this issue of kind of international release and particularly the players going out to, to south america um and then clubs not knowing till the final moments really whether they had their players to play it was, it was a pretty extraordinary um couple of weeks really in terms of initially with the premier league statement and then eventually the players playing premier league games quite soon after the break it really was and the thing that I was really, really fascinated by is, you know, I th- you're exactly right. Even the Friday press conferences of all of the managers, nobody was um, aware of whether, especially the the Brazilian contingents of the Liverpool, City, Leeds, probably missing out someone else as well, players. Um, you know, the, the the feeling was because you know um, the Premier League and um, and others have got around the table with FIFA and a number of the. South American associations to try and find a, um, a solution to this. The feeling was that there was there was a decent likelihood that the players might not be able to play, and, and that's obviously because of um, you know pre-COVID uh, it, there being less of an issue around the mandatory release of football players for um, you know international um, competitive games and those players flying all around the world. But obviously, in a current COVID. Um, pandemic situation and whereby you know the UK government had basically majority of South and Central American countries on its um, you know red list travel restrictions it it, it basically meant that um, anyone returning from a red list country was had to more or less complete a 10-day period of quarantine on one in one of those hotels I mean I'm not quite sure I could have seen um, you know uh, Edison or Allison go into a premier inn for uh, 10 days to be able to, to quarantine with everybody else with um with not too much rations, but um, and you know there was even pleas, you know, political pleas from FIFA to try and get the UK government to make it uh, happen. But the point, I guess, being is that the clubs, in the end, um, were took to that not releasing the players was actually the, the least worst case scenario, whereby at least if they didn't release them, um, they wouldn't be able to play for. Of the five-day period, and if they did release them, um, and then uh, had to come back by quarantine, I was going to be possibly ten days plus. So, and you just had some brilliant scenarios. I know you you can talk about this in a bit more detail, but you had a very interesting set of situations occurring. Maybe you can touch on the 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 interesting um, you know events and uh, uh, for the Argentina Brazil game. But you know you had, for example, a number of the players at Spurs and Villa, even though the Premier League had come out and said. 
we're not going to release these players, our players, to go to red list countries. Um, you know, Spurs with Owen De Celso, Villa with Martinez and Bundia all went to Argentina, basically, which actually then, I guess, um, caused the problem uh, that maybe you can touch on. And, you know, the players were actually fined as a result, or at least I believe the Spurs players were fined as a result of, I guess, effectively disobeying club. Um, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. I, there was a good series of tweets around the Brazilian health ministry authorities being caught up in traffic and, um, and yeah, not, not being able to reach the ground until after kickoff and, and so on. And um, and then there was also the case of reading The Athletic around, you know, the Brazilian FA wanting Premier League players to be suspended under Article 5 of FIFA's regulations, but accepting Richarlison who, because everything at the goodwill of the Brazilian FA because they released Richarlison for, for the Olympics, which it kind of it feels like a bizarre um, set of very political set of circumstances, um, which I guess is the state of international and club football at the moment, which we'll maybe touch on a bit a bit later with some of these proposals. But they're, yeah, they're, 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 there's this weird dynamic, isn't there, where it's the clubs who pay the players, it's the clubs who, you know, invest in the talent, not just transfer fees and wages, but development of players and so on, and the national teams kind of pick up the players, pay them bonuses, pay them some appearance fees or, or whatever it is. Um, and you can kind of understand the club's frustrations, I suppose, around um, around these issues. And, and, and the national teams are, to a degree, wanting to have their cake and eat it, I suppose, with, with the way that they um, they receive the national team players, you know, get them for, for duty and then able to kind of offload them without a huge, huge amount of cost associated with it. And I think just the one thing, um, Omar, that I found, you know, fasc- not fascinating, but sort of mildly comical as well, in truth, was... Um, you know, you had that, that, that those scenes in Brazil um, whereby the Argentinians had obviously come in from what Brazil classified as presumably a red country. Um, and the Argentinians are alleged to, some of the Argentinians are alleged to, or some of the UK ones, alleged to have not necessarily been entirely truthful um, uh, with their immigra- immigration status, or not truthful, but not necessarily um, understanding what their immigration status would be coming into Brazil. And you had, the, you know, the really odd situation where they, I presume they'd been in the country for two or three days. The Brazilian health authorities didn't do too much about it and then turn up as the game starts. And then there's just this guy in a T-shirt and jeans and a, and a face mask stopping the game and Otamendi running over to him, looking like he's going to cause him some damage. And then the game ultimately stopping and then the other bit of it i guess in truth was i can imagine the brazilian um, this cbf not being particularly happy because i presume they felt that maybe they were at a disadvantage because argentina had come with a relatively full squad and brazil was shorn of some of their top players playing in the the, the elite premier league teams too yeah there, there's a lot of um i think asymmetries with the way international football has um has been borne out by the pandemic because obviously they've had to squeeze loads of fixtures in there've been these restrictions on on player travel um, you know, and player release. There's been, um, yeah, just just kind of games rearranged at, at awkward times for for teams and and teams perhaps needing to prioritise a qualifier uh, or, or whatever else. And I, I think it's um, yeah, we, we, it'll be quite interesting to see that the set of teams that actually quali- end up qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. So I think we'll end a few surprises where this game that was postponed due to COVID or this game because a player had to go into quarantine or you know, a test positive or whatever caused them to lose and, and, and therefore miss out or get through to the World Cup. I think there's going to be a, a number of stories like that. It's going to be, um, yeah, a little bit a little bit bizarre. Um, what, what's going to happen in November, Dan, then? Uh, sorry, in October um, with the release then, because are we just going to face all this again? Um, and also what, 
you know, there's obviously this Article 5 um, of the FIFA regulations. Do you see that as something that's potentially going to change where clubs are going to, you know, get fed up with um, the power, as international football exerts on being able to take players and so on? Is, is this almost like the first breaking point of the relationship between clubs and, and FIFA? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far just yet, um, because in a way, you know, this this FIFA uh, regulation um, is is basically one that then the the national associations have to enforce. So the real wording of the of of when it was deemed that the, the Brazilian players, for example, could play over the weekend was that it was Brazil, I think Paraguay, there's a few other national associations, wasn't South American Association that basically withdrew their request to FIFA. So um, again, it's almost like FIFA is in the middle of us potentially brokering um, an understanding of its own regulations in truth. And again, the same might well likely happen apply. And I think what, what I what I read over the last few days is that I think FIFA is again in collaborative talks with the Premier League and, and the UK government to see if there actually might be a way like I think um, the Celso and Romeo did, where it sounded like they went, uh, obviously came back a bit earlier than expected um, for the Argentina-Brazil game, but then were quarantining or possibly were quarantining in Croatia um, and then training accordingly and then will come back at some point. I think it was the same as San- Davison Sanchez and um, for Colombia as well. So um, I think it's basically a to be confirmed because there doesn't look like there's an easy pathway unless... You know there is governmental a uh, governmental pathway to exclude or exempt particular categories of sportsmen, women, or otherwise, um, because you'd have thought unless you know um, the actual um, category list of um, a particular country being a red country, a red list country um, is reclassified, there might be the same problem. The one thing that I heard, I'm trying to remember which uh, who was it, I think it was either Guardiola or Tuchel. I think said he he actually said, well, why don't any countries that are um, possibly going to be subject to the red list quarantine issues um, try and find a, another venue which would cause the least amount of damage possible for players playing and moving between countries accordingly. But I guess the the actual, you know, admin and practicalities of moving a number of either international games and or friendlies with possibly big stadia in particular countries might equally be as uh, difficult a proposition. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think... Um... There's also been a lot of friendlies that have been played within the UK and Europe between South American countries. I think Nigeria ended up playing a lot of games at Craven Cottage, friendlies at Craven Cottage, um, because of you know the large um, Nigerian diaspora in, in London, as an example. So it, I think it's yeah, it's it's nice in theory. I think in practice, it's it's challenging where you've got potentially a game at a neutral venue, another at not, and then particularly in South America, where you actually see I think the biggest home advantages for teams, um, mostly due to due to altitude. Um, you know, and obviously certain teams won't want to give that up, even if it, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it might be Bolivia potentially have, have a particularly big home advantage. And, you know, they're, they're going to want Brazil to travel to Bolivia for their game um, because for them it's a huge advantage, you know, much more than the disadvantage of them travelling to, to Brazil. So, yeah, as I say, I think it's going to be really interesting how, how the 32 teams shake out. I wonder if we'll see a couple of weird, weird countries, as it were, in, in the list because, you know, there's been quarantines and, and changes and so on. Um, I wanted to ask your view. Obviously, there's been a lot of um, press in the last couple of weeks on proposals put forward by Arsene Wenger around changes to the calendar. Keen to get your view as um, as a football fan and, and someone working the game on the proposed changes and uh, and the kind of implications for for clubs and, and whether you think they'd be actually good for, for the general 
general sport. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm only going on, I'm only going on what's been reported in the press and the conversations that I've had with 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 various people in the industry, and I think it can probably be broken down to a. Um, maybe two or three categories. I'm conscious also I've been speaking for ages, so I definitely want to get you involved on the uh, the UCL modelling that you've been doing. So I'll try and be relatively quick <laughs> on that front. But um, I think the categories needs to be broken down to is, I guess, um, at a very obvious level, um, FIFA feeling that they uh, could have a World Cup every two years will obviously do wonders <clears throat> for their, their bank balance and their cash flows. Um, and in the same way, the ability of perhaps um, more national teams to be able to to qualify, or at least the opportunity to qualify on a more regular basis, um, and also for for players, that's what a lot of the the Arsene Wenger and uh, ex pros have come out and said that they would have loved the opportunity to have played in World Cups every every two years rather than four years, because ultimately it might just be you know you get the chance once or twice in your career potentially to play in um, a World Cup. So I think that's the, the first sort of obvious bucket. I think um, the second element is um, a really a uh, fascinating one, a difficult one, and a nuanced one, which is, you know, wh- where does this fit into the just the general international fixture calendar? Um, because one of the things that was reported to be proposed was around, you know, playing um, long, longer, more and longer amounts of games over um, a quite concentrated period of time, possibly for a month in October and another month at another period of time. And, you know, I can see the advantages to some degree of that. Um, you know, international managers and federations might like that to a degree because they get their players for a longer period of time, can, you know, plan things, can have a, a, a greater sort of tactical pathway and a consistency of approach amongst along a, a number of games. You know, I can, I can only imagine the dread that um, national leagues um, who might be two or three months into a season and then their star players go away for a month for broadcasting, for commercial, for consistency, for all of those types of reasons um, would uh, would make things more difficult and less potentially, I guess, commercially appetising for um, a whole host of, um, of their partners. So, um, and, and then obviously the practicalities of then putting a World Cup on um, every two years when there are obviously still um, international teams playing in international competitions, if that's the Euros, if it's the Copa America, if it's um, uh, Afri- AFCON and, and others to a degree, and how they then fit in accordingly. Because I'm not quite sure if then what Wenger and FIFA are actually saying then is that what's actually going to happen is... Um, each summer, there will always be um, a high-profile tournament. Now, to a degree, it always feels like at the moment, over a past period of time, there is always a high-profile tournament if it's the Nations League, if it's been other tournaments as well that's been running. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, my view my view generally um, is I just, <laughs> well, without sitting on the fence, I just don't know enough about it. It's only little bits that are being reported. But obviously, then you have managers come out and say burnout and FIFA Pro come out and say we haven't been consulted enough. And actually, we need to look at impact assessments, which is quite proper and correct. So without me going on on a you know, five minute soliloquy about um, some of the some of the points, I just be fascinated to see how this evolves, because in a way, over the last few years, we've seen so many systemic potential reforms. We've seen Project Big Picture to Super League to independent regulator in the UK to um, uh, this as a proposition to a Club World Cup happening more regularly. It just feels, and obviously you can comment on particular points that you feel appropriate, Omar, it just feels that like we're, we're living through almost like a hurricane of so many different um, subjects and topics and interests and stakeholders all vying for enough of the the pie to make to keep themselves relevant to a degree 
Yeah, I think the pandemic's definitely accelerated that as well because I think probably for the first time in quite a long time in football, people have realised that the pie is potentially only so big um, as it relates to media rights, and therefore it's time to make a bit of a, a bit of a land grab on it. Um, so I think that's part partly a motivation, um, and you know, football in many ways is is a bit of a mess in the way that it's it's organised. I don't think you can get away with that. It was you know the the fundamentals of the way football is structured today, you think about the club and international game is based on what, you know, Victorians thought 140, 150 years ago. So there's always going to be kind of creaking elements and, and elements of, of status quo that people want to retain or, or change depending on what side of it you sit. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a massive challenge. Um, you know, the, I think the biggest issue is that there's only 365 days in a year. And ultimately, you know, in order to sell media rights to your competitions, you need to be completing your football in that year. And everyone wants a, a piece of that day, but players can only play max 60, 70 games a season. So, you know, how do you, how do you divvy it up? And uh, yeah, going to be fascinating, which, which maybe brings us on to the Champions League, because obviously that, they are one of the competitions that have made a bit of a um, bit of a land grab, I suppose, in some respects from 2024 with 10 match days. We've got six match days in the group stage. We're going to have 10 from 2024. Um, and so this is the last cycle now with the um, 32 team, uh, eight groups of four um, match day scenario. Um, and well, before before I get into kind of what the 21st group models are saying and, and predicting, have you got any kind of hunches, Dan, for the competition? Are you looking out for anything in particular? And then I can I can run the rule over the numbers and let you know how far off you are from the, from the models. Well, you know how uh, historically poor I am with making any type of predictions full stop that um, I think I should probably just shut up and listen to listen to the experts speak in truth. But um, yeah, I'm I'm just fascinated uh, just to see, you know, the strength of, of some of the teams. Like, again, you know, I don't know whether it's just going to be a growing trend again. Maybe I'm feeling quite English centric at the moment, but. You know the 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 teams that are they're playing in uh, in England at the moment and then competing in the Champions League just feel very strong right now. Again, almost back to the the mid two thousands period again. Um, and obviously, you know the big outlier again being the headline grabber being PSG and their their squad purchases this summer. Just it just almost feels like it takes them to a different level. But the query is whether they can pull it off in the later stages. So yeah, it'd be great to hear great to hear what the model says and um, uh, yeah, and to, to get a bit more uh, insight than the, than the usual nonsense I usually spout. <laughs> so I'm not currently obviously the model's not quite reacted to what I, I think Man United are drawing at the moment, um, like young boys. So uh, obviously down to ten men. So you know that obviously hurts their chance of going through. But but certainly before a ball was kicked. Um, we weren't far off. I think it was about forty-three percent chance of an English winner, uh, which is pretty high. Um, you know, all things considered, when you, when you consider the, amount, the range of different countries competing in the Champions League, obviously you've got massive clubs in other other countries who are who are still in it. So um, I think, uh, yeah, roughly four in ten chance, maybe maybe a little bit higher of, of an English winner. So it's pretty high. Um, but overall, our models giving it makes Man City the favourites. Um, the, the models really rated Man City high for a long period of time now, and I think. There's obviously a bit of a narrative around Guardiola in the Champions League having you know, failed to win it um, since 2011 uh, when he did it with Barcelona. Um, but the fact is the Champions League, you know, even though two legs does give the uh, a team a better chance of progressing, it's still hugely random. The fact is Man City have consistently gone out to, to English teams, I think with the exception of um, the exception of Monaco, if I remember correctly, perhaps as another another example, um, which was in Guardiola's first year. So, you know, hu- there is still a huge amount of randomness. It's still only, a, you know, roughly one in four 
uh, one in five chance of Man City winning the Champions League. So, you know, most seasons, if you simulate out the season loads of times, most seasons they aren't going to win it. And most seasons we therefore do have a narrative around Guardiola failing to, to lift the Champions League. Um, but we do have them as, as the biggest favourites, followed by uh, PSG and Bayern, um, who obviously PSG, given all the spending they've had, and, and Bayern just a kind of consistently strong force in um, in European football. Uh, and then we've got the chasing pack of um, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man United, Liverpool um, in particular as, as the kind of next favourites. Uh, what's interesting about Liverpool, we, we actually rate Liverpool as the fourth best team, pretty much level with Chelsea, I mean, as indicated by as well as the draw that they had in the league. Um, so roughly third, fourth best team in, in world football at the moment, but roughly seventh favourites for the Champions League, which reflects in part the, the toughness of that of that group. I, I think it's a little bit tougher in names than in than in actual quality. Um, you know, um, Atletico Madrid, yes, they won La Liga, but um, we actually rate Real Madrid as a, a slightly stronger team this year. Um, Porto, uh, look at our rankings, we rate Porto as roughly the same level um, as Arsenal. Um, so, you know, pretty strong team, but not, not outstanding um, and Milan roughly the same level as West Ham and Arsenal so similar level teams so it's like it's a it's like a Premier, Premier League top six level group if you like um, but it's not um, so there's enough room for upsets there you know if you imagine Liverpool playing any of those you know playing Arsenal West Ham over two legs there's always a chance that they could be upset um, but uh, yeah it's it's it has kind of definitely hurt their chances when you compare you know the likes of Man United who get to play against um play against young boys in their group and uh, who else they got in the group uh, Atalanta obviously a weaker force and, and Villarreal who aren't the, the best um, Spanish team um, so that's obviously caught my eye on Liverpool feel free to kind of interject um, Dan with any particular questions or thoughts yeah I just had I just had one bit because we were talking about it weren't we a few months ago and correct me if I'm wrong and I could be wrong um, has the away goal now um, uh, extinguished so that h- how do, how you might not know the answer to this. Um, so sorry for putting you on the spot as usual. But if, if for example, then, you know, the model is such that then you're getting into the uh, the, the, the knockout phases, does not having an away goal um, benefit the stronger team, bearing in mind that usually the team that had the better result would sometimes play their second leg at home? Um, just thinking about that, actually, how that would then impact on uh, the better or um, smaller team um, coming out to the knockout phases for your modelling. So it has a very marginal effect. It actually favours underdogs a little bit, the away goals rule, um, just because it introduces a little bit more randomness in got these bigger swings um, in, in results. Whereas, you know, if games are tied and go to extra time, then it tends to favour the bigger team because you know, they've got the strong, more time to win the game um, if the game is tied. I don't think it has like a really meaningful impact um, on on our projections per se. Um, but but I, I can double check with the team that uh, on that. But yeah, I, th- I think it's... Uh, a relatively small impact. Um, and just looking at the rest of the draw, I think there was one group that caught my eye in terms of if you're, if you're kind of looking, if you're the hipster's choice and you're looking for, you know, a group to get your teeth into, um, that's going to be really competitive and really interesting. It's definitely Group G, uh, which is Lille, Sevilla, Salzburg and, and Wolfsburg. Um, so at the moment, we've got Sevilla 78, sorry, 68% chance of, of making the last 16. Wolfsburg, 58% chance. Lille, 33% chance and Salzburg, 40% chance. So really kind of close, um, you know, almost flip of the coin for almost all those teams, but maybe Sevilla um, to get through uh, that group. So that, that's quite an interesting group. I think you tend to get that when you've got uh, Lille being seeded, obviously, for the, for the Champions League, having won uh, Liga. So I think that's the kind of um, pro and con, I suppose, of, of um, having the seeding system as it is in that Lille, um, being um, being champions kind of get a bit of a kind of 
easier group, but it becomes a bit more of an interesting group as well in terms of who uh, potentially goes through. Um, and then the other team that caught my eye is obviously Sheriff Tiraspol from Moldova, who have managed to get through. Well pronounced. Uh, yeah, managed to get through the the qualifying stages. Their Wikipedia page is definitely worth a read. Uh, I did not know anything about um, uh, Sheriff or the owners of the club and. Must admit, I've learned a lot about Moldovan politics in the last few weeks um, and the area in which uh, in Moldova in which they exist. So I definitely recommend reading up on that. Uh, sadly, got into Real Madrid and, and Shakhtar. So I think just looking at the model here, we give them uh, actually not negligible chance, a 6% chance of making the last 16, um, which I think goes to show how much randomness there is in the group stage. You know, even it's only six games, you know, they get a couple of, good results into flop or whatever it is and then you suddenly um look at a very different last 16 stage but but odds are they um they will not be making um the last 16 they, they have a non-negligible chance though of, of finishing third in the group roughly 32 percent chance of finishing third um to put into context how good they are our model rates them pretty much bottom of the premier league level so you know norwich watford um burnley that kind of level of team so you know they're, they're certainly not terrible um you know okay you wouldn't you really turn on to watch Norwich or, or Watford in the in the Champions League, but you know it's a, it's a really interesting story having a, having a club from Moldova in the in the Champions League. Well, just two points I had very quickly on that, which was just imagine you know what that uh, in terms of revenue distribution is presumably going to do to the mm. Moldova, Moldovan league, or at least their their chances of uh, um, maintaining their status as you know the top team there, um, which which we've talked about previously in terms of competitive balance at a national and at a international competition basis. But very briefly, who who's your money on then? You've you've done all the <laughs> done all the work. Are you going with uh, with City, or you know, is there anyone else that um, you, you know you're thinking about apart from? The, the usual suspects yeah I think I mean I think Chelsea I think I've been so impressed by them under Tuchel and one of the things that they've got is obviously an amazing defence and that that can make a massive difference I think in the Champions League you think about teams that are punched above their weight okay Chelsea are a big massive club loads of money but um, you know they're still underdogs as it relates to PSG and Man City and maybe Bayern um, but you think about clubs that are punched above their weight Atletico Madrid is is another one that's that did it so well in that period you know 2013-ish to 2016-ish um, I think Chelsea have got that ability to upset bigger teams because they just—it's so hard to score against them. And then they've got, you know, with Lukaku and attacking talent they've got, they've got every chance of of going up the other end of the scoring. So I think they, you know, could very easily, I could very easily imagine in the knockout stages them playing, you know, KG first legs and then upsetting you know, one of these, you know, super super clubs in in second legs. So I think um, they, you know, both domestically and the Champions League, they'll be a team to watch this year. Well, great to listen as always, mate, to your uh, your thoughts. I will play this back um, come May time and see if uh, you've been uh, as good as you usually are. And um, always great to chat as always, Paul. Nice one. Cheers, Dan. Enjoy the football. You too. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell 
who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.